And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 278 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, July 1st, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's definitely not as hot as those in Vancouver right now, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? Are you staying cool? Oh my God, have you seen the temp? I heard, I talked to somebody the other day in washington state that said it was 117 or 16 degrees is that a thing oh it's crazy yeah it's a i mean it's a thing you know for those of us who live in southern california and especially those of us who live in the san fernando valley 117 degrees is definitely hot but it's not unheard of right i mean it's you know it's 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 very very hot here in the summertime um you know, especially if you go a little west to Palm Springs or anything like that. But in Vancouver, yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? That they're just not ready for that level of heat there. It's kind of outrageous, and uh, it, and yeah. I'm just learning about the this climate change, global warming thing. I didn't know that this was happening. <laughs> really? Oh, is this a, this is news to you? I said, nobody yeah, no, who, who knew? Nobody, nobody years. ever talks about this. Yeah, really. It's, it's, it's just this whole new thing that we need to pay attention to. Apparently, apparently we're getting a little warmer in the climate and it's causing some trouble. So well, speaking of getting warmer in the and I'm sure area, everyone will, uh, you, how was your uh, birthday? Yeah. How was your? <laughs> oh my God, we're gonna go back to that. Yes, I, um, I, yeah. I have to because so many people wished you a happy birthday last week. Probably because we talked. It, it was it. lovely. Lame I had a logic. yes. I that's correct, and I'm sure that was exactly it. My birthday was lovely. Thank you very much. I did not uh, do much of anything other than. So okay, this is this this will make you laugh. I'm, I'm not sure that most of the audience will necessarily get this reference but my wife made me uh dinner and she made me 1970s suburban kid version of tacos so you remember taco night in the 1970s when your mom would make the hard shell tacos with ground beef shredded lettuce you know and cheese and sour cream and the whole thing yeah she made me that and it was just Fan, it was like right out of my childhood. It was just so, so great because no it was Taco Bell. Like this was legit. no run to Taco Bell. It was it was legit sort of nineteen seventies, you know, taco night, and it was so much fun. Had you know just to sit there and uh, now she also made uh, my wife makes killer killer guacamole and she made guacamole for me as well but um you know um for those of you who don't know in the audience by the way mexican food is my absolute 100 percent favorite food it's i i could live on it every day with, with tequila but, um, mind you. with tequila oh yes i had and i had some fine tequila sure i had did. some fine fine tequila yeah it was a it was a good birthday i had a lovely lovely time thank you for asking good for congratulations on yet another year a fine work, yeah. <laughs> a fine. Thank That's, you very much for that. So, yes. Yeah. So my, uh, we talked about it a little bit, but on Sunday I took my youngest down to University of Kentucky, and uh, yeah, so he, did, he had orientation, got them all signed up for classes, did the whole thing. But the trip from Cleveland, Ohio, to Lexington, Kentucky, 
is supposed to be a little over five hours. Okay. But when you're at an hour plus standstill both ways, see, I still haven't made it in that. It's been well over six hours both ways, and we had to do it because I had to be back in Cleveland for a variety of issues, but we could only stay one one night. So we went down Sunday night, got in very, very late because of the traffic issue, and there was a huge accident both ways. I think everyone was okay, thankfully. So we did that, do the whole day at Kentucky, and then actually had to leave a little bit early, driving all the way back. And he is generally stuck with my podcast listening. So I'll put on you know, a, a Bitcoin, crypto, NFT podcast. Oh, no. Oh, the last, no. It's funny because the last time we did <laughs> right. a trip, he, I put on the NFT one that I forgot which podcast it was. And he went to sleep. And 45 minutes later, he got up and he said... They're still talking about the same thing, Dad. Like, what is, what is wrong with you? So, so we go down. We were listening to a bunch of different podcasts on the way down. We listened to Smartless. I'll talk about that later. And then on the way back, I said, "Look, why don't what what's a podcast that you like? Like, why don't we put on one of your podcasts? I don't have to dominate this whole thing." And he says, "I don't know. It might not be. You know, he's he's eighteen. And I know, sure. you know yeah. he listens to some stuff that's probably not great, but he says, this is not something that mom could listen to. I'm like, okay, what do you got? And he says, okay, I've got, there's this podcast called uh, Fear and Molding. Have you heard of this podcast? I have not heard okay, of this Okay, do you podcast. know who Hassan Piker is? I've heard the okay. name, but I do not, but I, I'm not familiar. Hassan Piker is one of the most popular twitch streamers and he was one of the first he's actually in the content inc book we talk about him because he made the switch he was into politics and he was one of the first ones to make it on twitch as a non-gamer so he streams all day long about political stuff but he's on the left not on the right so he's one of the few okay yeah as most of them are on the you know conservative side so fear and molding podcast it's with this gentleman hassan piker very popular and will neff and I don't know Will. This is the first time I've known Will. But I start listening to some of these podcasts. And oh, my God. It probably was a combination of the fact that I got slap happy at like hour four into the drive. And it started to get dark. But he did, I, I got to. First of all, if anyone listens to this, I'm sorry. Because it's so down in the... <laughs> in the dumps with some of this. But he does, he does this Rocky impression. And he starts going on about how um, is it Mick? Who is the trainer? Mick, right? Mickey. Mickey. Yeah, Mickey. Yeah. And he was. They were talking about how they miss Cut Mick. Me, Mickey. In, Cut me. Go ahead. Cut me, Mickey. Yeah. Cut me, Mickey. Cut me. Yeah. yeah. So they were they were talking about how they want to do more. They want to see more Rocky movies, but Mick's not there, and Mick was a really important part. And he starts talking about. The chicken scenes, and Mick is going, oh, you, you know, you, you got it, you got to chase the chicken to be a wor- to be a champion. You got to chase the chicken, and then he talks about that. So the, then you got to catch the chicken, and then you got to force yourself on the chicken. And I'm like, and I lost it. And then they start, I can't believe. It. <laughs> then they start talking about how many chickens did Muhammad Ali force himself on, be, because he was so great. And that, and then, okay, that's all I can say because this is somewhat a family friendly show. I lost it, and then of course it makes it makes my son so happy because I'm enjoying his totally you know putrid Silly. comedy. Yeah, that's your show. 
But anyways, if yeah. you if you're if you like uh you know left leaning politics and you don't mind a little potty humor, it's a great podcast. So there you go, <laughs> there you go. Not not necessarily the most ringing of endorsements, but an endorsement nonetheless. No, I just lost this. <laughs> like, oh, you, you gotta catch the chicken. Uh, it's just yeah. you know whatever. I gotta work on my Mick impressions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your Burgess Meredith impression. Oh, that is Burgess uh, Meredith. That is what a an, great actor. That is he an was. Uh, penguin. I mean, he was penguin he was so, forever. Yeah. Yeah. So so good. But I am, of course, always remembered him from Rocky One, Two, and he was in Three, right? He was in Clubber Lang, didn't he? He was. He, yeah, the character yes. died in the third one, I believe. That is correct. I no, he died. Uh, yes, he died in three. In three because I want to say we'll get corrected. I'm sure on social media if this is incorrect, but I believe he died in three. Yeah. One, two were Apollo, and three was yep. Mr. T. Clubber <laughs> Lang, I believe. That is yes. correct because the because what happened in three was that uh, Apollo had to come in and train him for that. That's right. He lost his mojo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and he had to go out to L.A., and that's when they ran on the beach in their big tube socks. Have you? Have you? <laughs> and the, the best part is when they run, and and Rocky beats Apollo, which never would happen in that sprint. There's no way right. that's happening. And then no, there's no way he that, beats yeah. him, and then they start jumping and frolicking in the water, which is the one of the weirdest scenes in movie history. And you're looking at that like, why are they? They're frolicking in the water. Yeah, and well, there's there's no and it's that, it's not any that yeah. scene should not have been in yeah. there. It's the most '80s thing ever with Eye of the Tiger, and uh, yeah, it's, it's so good. Okay, last thing on this one: Do you like? Thing. Have you watched yeah. the Michael B. Jordan Rocky movies, the Creed movies? I have. Oh my gosh, they're they're you like they're, that? I'm well. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll say this: I think they're fine. I, I I I Michael B. Jordan is just an amazing actor. I mean, he's just so good, um, and. I can watch him. You know, he's a little bit like Denzel to me. You know, it kind of doesn't matter what he's in. I'll just watch yep. it because he's, he's, his performance is always so great. Um, so the movies themselves are like, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of formulaic, yeah, that's the right? Word. You, know, you, you know, know exactly how yeah. it's going to. You know exactly yeah. what's going it's still on, good right? You know. Right, you know, and oh, here's the scene where he gets really mad at his significant other because she doesn't believe in him, and you know, it's like, okay, you know, go ahead, you know, it's like that, right? So, but, but he's great in it, you know. So, yeah, I like him. Okay. Well, before we go on, the last thing I would want to say while we're on the movie topic and the importance it, it is on it, it does have to do with our show here the the importance of consistency in movie creation. F nine. Fast and Furious 9 came out, right? Yes, last week. Uh, yes, right. The world did not need that, but yes, it did come out. It did. It's the second or third, maybe the third largest movie franchise in history. I know. I, it's very popular. But a lot That's, of that has now, to do... Now, there's a movie I can't get behind. I just, I've never been able to get behind any of those movies. I mean, part of it is the fact, and we've talked about this on the show before, is that I just have no love for cars at all. And if you don't have a love for cars... That eh, movie's not really going to resonate with you, but but, but um, you don't like yeah, action I films just, mostly. Either. I do love action films. I love I I adore action films. I you know uh, with uh, you know I mean with exceptions, right? But and from like the Fast 60s and Furious and 70s, would definitely not like new action. No, not necessarily. <laughs> Good lord, I'm t- the age thing. Again. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's, it's terrible. Uh, That's all I got. Yeah. 
That's all I got. Yeah. I come back to the same jokes every time. Just, yeah. you know, whatever. It's easy. Although, it's hanging fruit. Although there are some great action movies from the 60s and there 70s, are. right? You know, Bullet and, you know, and, uh, there's some but great But the ones. point I'm trying to make is, and you've, you've, you've done this very well, that the Fast and Furious movies themselves, not cinematic artistry by any means, right? But they've consistently delivered every other year yes. for oh, the last 15 years. to their years. audience, to their audience, yeah. And because of that, I think because of that consistency more than anything, they've been able to grow this thing. And I think a lot of people discount that where because the first Fast and the second Fast and Furious was more popular than the first and then the you know, it's it's almost like when you write a novel, your first novel usually doesn't do well, but it it'll do great if you keep writing novel 2, novel 3, novel 4. And you've seen that happen with like John Grisham and Tom Clancy and those types of things where they're not necessarily a hit the first time around, but you keep writing and the consistency well, draws that's those other the, ones in. Yeah. It, well, that's a great point because, and we've seen this happen in business as well, where it's not the, you know, the, the first thing you do, the first white paper you do, the first thing you do, eh, but, if, but if you build a series out of it and you start delivering consistency, you know, you've, you've got, you know, the third becomes your hit, as it were, and the halo effect that you get around that for making the second and first more popular as a result, you know, is uh, is 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 a real thing. You know, and and what you're talking about is is happens all the time in movies where, you know, the first Iron Man was not that big a hit. Um, it wasn't until I think three that it really caught on, and then started to make one and two much more popular as a result. You know, it's just, it's so interesting. I had somebody email me yesterday or the day before and they have a client who's really struggling on YouTube and I'm not a YouTube expert but they said Joe can you take a look at this and just see why they're not getting any views and I went and looked at all the videos and whatever and I said well first of all what's the goal I mean I'm sure views are views the goal because the views are the goal we got problems right now like please don't so I said hey okay you've got these sporadic YouTube videos. I said, what was the goal of the piece? You know, what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to build? And then I said, you know, without a consistent show and format, because it wasn't, it was just a video here, a video there. And they're very disgruntled off the fact that they're not getting any views. I said, if you, if you're not consistent, you're not going to build an audience. I said, so, so what are you, what are you doing here? If you're going to do something, you need something like a weekly show with a certain premise and a certain hook, and you need to do this consistently over a long period of time. And I said, you know, what it was been like five or six months since the first video. And I said, I don't know what kind of expectations you have, but you can't build an audience in five or six months. It's not going to happen. Maybe between 12 and 18 months, you should have some expectations of of building a minimum viable audience. But it's so funny how over and over again we get into these conversations and we look at this and, you know, we're talking about the cinematic experience, or you talk about novels, you, we just have unrealistic expectations with when we put out a piece of content that we think it's going to hit right away. And you and I just talked about this a half hour ago when we got on. They don't think about the marketing of the content beforehand. Right. They think, That's oh, right. hey, I put it on YouTube, and YouTube's going to do the work for me. No, they're not. Yep. No, they're so, not. Just yep. interesting how all this comes together. And that's our show for today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, exactly. No, exactly. You know, <laughs> we do have news we do. to talk, talk about, about and some, some big news, news now that people actually, are wondering some breaking news we're doing. 
we actually have breaking news here uh, in the uh, in in the PNR TOM uh, uh, newsroom. It's a busy newsroom here. Have you seen our newsroom lately? It's there's a lot of people in that newsroom. Uh, we should do like a sound effect of like a, a the typing. Let's do that. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> First story comes to us courtesy of ESPN, uh, and it is actually a breaking news story that's happening just as we uh, go to record today. Uh, NCAA athletes uh, are cashing in now on their name, image, and likeness. And so the NCAA has finally, after years and years and years of pressure, uh, going to allow NCAA athletes uh, in all kinds of sports to start to make money off of their name and likeness. And you may be going, well, why is that a part of your show? Well, if you think about it for a moment, folks, this is content creators, this is content marketing, this is media at its core here. And so the article uh, basically opens up with a number uh, of of examples of these athletes that are now going to be able to take advantage of this. And this includes everybody from women's basketball to men's basketball to, of course, the football, which, of course, everybody sort of has in their uh, sights at the moment. Um, And then there's just all manner of things, you know, from companies that are now having money uh, in the wings have been waiting for this. Unilever has already said they're going to spend five million dollars uh, on on influencers in the space and start to get you know sponsorship deals. Uh, there are uh, athletes that are starting to sell their own merch, um, and there are even there's a wonderful tweet from uh, one of the uh, a linebacker. It looks like from uh, from uh, a football team from a college football team who's now a musician who says I'm now going to open up and I'm going to start playing for money and all venues and business opportunities and if you want to sponsor my music, there you go. So, what do you think about this, Joe? I mean, this is this is really like we're opening up the gates here. It feels like I think the days of where you had Michael Jordan join the NBA and the big Nike deal and the big endorsements, those days are gone because they're going to happen, start happening about 10 years before that time now. I mean, you're, if you think about it, if you have a goal and you want to play play professional sports or even competitive collegiate sports, you start working on your brand image at 12, 13, maybe 9. As you're going through, because that's all going to help you build a business long term. So, I guess the way that I'm looking at it is the the I'm looking at this NPR article and it says this is going to apply to three divisions, college divisions, and 460,000 athletes. These are 460,000 athletes that have multiple platforms on the web that they need to start developing consistent information. Not all of them, but a good portion of them will do that. And they can now support themselves as a small business. You've just created the opportunity for almost a half a million businesses to start. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that. But that's right. that's, exactly that's exactly what's right. going to happen. You've just, you just said, oh my God, let's open up the entrepreneurial floodgates now you could you could talk about whether or not this should be done or shouldn't be done, but now that has you know we can't talk about that anymore. This is happening, and once you open this door, there's no going back. And now you get to your point, no, Unilever, that's right, Nike, uh, or or just think about what I the, I think 
everyone to your point is talking about the you know college men's college basketball player, a women's college basketball player, men's college football, probably the biggest opportunities. But look at lacrosse, look at volleyball, look at the different opportunities where you have uh, a number of brands that want to reach that audience and a number of the people that follow those college athletes. It's it's going to be amazing to see this it's, yeah, this takeoff. It's going to be I I you know and Boy, I worry a little bit about this. And you should. Um, we you should. Know, That's what I'm saying. You know, there's going to be. Yeah, there's going to be some here. hashtag fails here for sure. Um, and, and I just, you know, I start looking out at the, you know, the NBA draft and the NFL draft. And boy, I start, you know, one of the things about both of those as in just as an example, because, you know, this I mean, like to your point, this is across the entirety of every sport sure. that uh, that these that these colleges are, are playing but just the most high profile for a moment NBA draft uh, and NFL draft and when you draft the number one quarterback from Clemson or you know from some you know other school the sort of inherent thing there is is that this you know the top you know the number one picks are gonna be rich right you know you're gonna that's their that's their business now. Well, the interesting thing will be to see where how this starts to affect the draft when you've got players who can now capitalize on their success as a player in NCAA and where the money might not be now the driving thing um, and, 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 and the interest in a particular team and the team's interest in a particular player may be driven a little bit different by economics. In other words, if you've got a number 15 or 16 draft prospect, let's just say, just as an example, but they've been killing it in the sort of uh, in the market for, you know, uh, content or influencer, you know, in whatever it is, does that up their draft capital with a team? In other words, and absolutely it does, right? I mean, if you start to get a marquee player who's driving media dollars and driving audiences in a very similar way, and this has happened here in Hollywood to a to a large degree where casting decisions, and I know this for a fact because many of my friends here in LA have told me this directly, casting decisions these days are in many ways just about how many followers you have as it is to your performance in the audition. So if a new show can cast someone, you know, and the choice is between two actors who one has, you know, okay, you know, and two is the okay performances, but one has, a, you know, two million followers and the other has zero, guess who's getting cast? And that same idea is going to start to take place in sports as well. And so it's just going to be very, very interesting to see this because it, it just adds a new wrinkle to competition. Um, I, I, in good and bad ways. And I think there are, you know, I just, I, I, I hope that people take this with the, you know, both of those things in mind. So anyway, it's a cautionary tale waiting to happen. But you're right. I think that the determination on talent alone, not that it ever was just talent alone, but of course not. There's some name recognition thing the other direction now. And I mean, 
even with the even with the Cleveland Browns, you could you could make when they chose Baker Mayfield as their their quarterback. They were it was a number one pick that year. You could have made a case that he was the fifth or the sixth best quarterback in that draft. A lot of the reason yeah. why he got number one was because he was a favorite. He was marketed. He marketed himself better for whatever reason, and more well known than the other quarterbacks. Comes into the league, and even though he doesn't play right away, his jersey is right on you know the top five jerseys right away with, with Tom Brady and the other ones. More people are come signing up for uh, season tickets for Browns, so it's a cascading effect of revenue for the organization. Even though Baker hasn't played, same thing is going to happen here. If you get somebody that's truly popular, we've seen, seen the same thing happen with the the Ball family, like Lonzo Ball and that thing happened. Though I don't know if those kids are any were as talented as as the the picks thought that they were be, would be. But hey, right, that's they right. marketed them. Mr. Ball did a great job of marketing those kids. So yep. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget that one of that 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 didn't start when they hit freshman year in college. That that started when they were in high school, and you know one of the wrinkles here, of course, is that boosters are going to be uh, allowed to fund some of this as well, and so you've got boosters at these colleges who are now going to be looking at high school kids and tempting them with not just you know a great education and a great you know and a great place to go play football or basketball or lacrosse or whatever, but the ability to make an you know create a new business based on their name and likeness. So this is going to, mm-hmm. this, this affects high school kids. Well, as it's well. A, you know what and, it's, it's, if you want to see some of the effects, it's already happening in the esports area because you've got kids that want to be like my, my son plays Valorant and he wants to play right. for the university of Kentucky Valorant team. And he, you know, you, you start working on this years before you work on your following, whether that's your, whether you're a Twitch streamer or whether you're on, snap or TikTok or whatever the case is. So you're already, he, you know, they already learned, they're learning how to build their brands out because a lot of the reason why they will get picked is not just for their talent. Number one, they've got to be a, great. That's table stakes. But in addition, these esports groups are sponsored by, there was an esports uh, uh, group, or I can't remember the name of it, that just got a huge sponsorship from FTX. It was a two hundred and ten yeah. million dollars sponsorship. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, anyways, this is already happening in the esports realm. They, yeah. They're doing this, so you can see these kids are going to start seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and they're going to learn right. about content creation and building an audience very, very young. Yep. Because this is yep. a whole new business area that's be, that's untapped right now. Yep. That's and that's and and that is the part you know, that will be very interesting to follow is because, you know, I mean, and, and the article, the SPN article is a really good one um, to, to sort of show some of the, you know, the, the implications of this at the athlete level. You know, one of the things, they've got an FAQ at the end of the article that sort of goes through some of this. And one of the things they touch on is that, you know, that what's expected to happen now is, is that, you know, the different schools right now within different states, there are different state laws that sort of affect some of this and that it will probably move its way through the Congress. And so you'll get, you know, you'll get some level of national regulation on this. Um, but, 
if and until that happens, it's going to be the Wild West. Um, and it, it will be it will be very interesting to see how this affects the youngest of young, because, you know, like you said, 462,000 new businesses will now have been launched overnight. You know, and that's it's an amazing thing. Get ready. I'm it's, yeah. it's exciting and scary at the same time. It's exciting and scary at the same time. But I do exactly like right. yeah. I do like the fact if there's anything that I like in this whole thing, it's that. The content I'm thinking about these athletes as content creators now, which maybe I shouldn't, but that's all I'm thinking about. But they're able to take more advantage and more control over the choices in their lives because they'll have some diversity of revenue, they'll have more options and opportunities, and they won't just have to go through the traditional way of I have to go to a big name college and then I hopefully I'm good enough and then I can go pro and whatever that means. Yep. And then I also think it's for the less popular sports on the men's and the women's side i really like this yeah it's a really great thing for that i don't think a lot of people thinking about this big stuff but yeah i mean again if you're water water polo whatever right yeah what an opportunity and and i guess this other thing my last question is this i'm this is a whole new thing for olympics oh this is this changes the entire rules for the olympics correct or how does that work well, I don't, don't know. know. It's. I mean, I don't. I don't. I have not seen any clarification on that. But but it, it it would seem to me that it would disqualify uh, any of these athletes from participating. Like that, if they participate in getting paid for their likeness and name, et cetera, I'm assuming that that's going to basically make them quote unquote a professional in the eyes of the Olympics mm-hmm. uh, and the Olympic Committee. And that would disqualify them per, from participation. I, I don't know the. I'm making that up because I, I don't, don't know. I mean, does, the answer to does, that, but get, yeah. does getting revenue from places disqualify? I don't know. That's where they're going to have to yeah, take this. Yeah, I play. think it's. If anybody knows, yeah, this old marketing hashtag. Let us let us know. Any Olympic yeah. experts out there? We would like to know because <laughs> we don't want to look it up right now. It's really that's right. That's right. We're, we are lazy, lazy, if not anything yeah, exactly. else. Um, This episode of This Old Marketing is sponsored by Marcom Gather. You know, there's nothing worse than wasting countless hours looking for digital files on your intranet, shared drive, desktop, cloud storage, or Excel files. The list goes on, right? Say goodbye to the days of overflowing, unorganized file storage, and hello to finding files with speed and clarity. Marcom Gather, your new favorite digital asset management solution, empowers your team to stay organized so you can get back to the parts of your job you enjoy. With Marcom Gather, you can quickly centralize assets, eliminate unorganized file storage, and best of all, never lose track of your files again. Experience Marcom Gather for free for 30 days at marcom.com slash T-O-M, that's for this old marketing, and make sure you go there because we want them to love us, marcom.com slash T-O-M, and get Marcom Gather free for 30 days. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to our next story here, which is uh, something that is also uh, a uh, interesting change here uh, as we come out of and return to some level of normalcy. Um, it, this, uh, this article is going to come to us courtesy of Media Post. 
And the headline is, Experience Marketing Returning to Normal, 75% of Brands Have Resumed Live In-Person Events. Uh, And the article opens up by saying, in another potentially leading indicator that the life of brand marketing is returning to normal, 75% of brand marketers have resumed live in-person experiential marketing, and just as importantly, a significant percentage of consumers are coming back in person to experience them. Those are the findings of an analysis being released today by experience relationship management firm AnyRoad, which is based on about 3 million unique experiential records from consumers engaging with more than 400 brands across 90 countries, primarily in the U.S. and the U.K. While the analysis is not a census of all brands and their consumers worldwide, AnyRoad's client base includes marketers such as Budweiser, Diageo, Honda, Nestle, Tabasco. It's a representative snapshot of some leading brands' live versus virtual experiential marketing status. And it goes on to sort of talk through some examples of that. For example, Diageo offering distillery tours, Home Depot offering DIY workshops, uh, Michael's, the you know sort of craft store offering in-store or virtual arts and crafts classes, Budweiser offering online or virtual or in-person brewery tours, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I feel this as well, Joe. I don't know. I don't have the data to, to show like this, but it feels very much like uh, I have noticed a lot of, you know, anecdotally, uh, virtual events that I would have normally been invited to or normally been um, part of have actually not have basically said, hey, listen, we're going to delay. We're going to wait till either end of this year or early next because we're really not interested in doing anything virtual anymore. We're looking at doing in person. Have you have you seen the same or what do you think? It's yes, I totally agree with that. It's interesting to see how long this honeymoon period is going to last because you have consumers that are dying for in-person experiences. <laughs> some some might say literally, yes, but exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is more than normal. Whatever normal is, right? More than normal. We want to get out. We've got this. You know, there's this pent-up demand for an in-person event. And the, the chart they show in the, the article where they've got, I mean, you don't even need to see the numbers. You know what's happening where you've got in uh, virtual events going down and you've got in-person events doing hockey stick growth up. Yeah. So this is right. going to continue for the next 12 to 18 months, in my opinion. And um, if I'm a brand right now or a small business, I'm putting... A, another five to ten percent into the in-person events bu- bucket because it's going to be it's going to be boom times for the next year, maybe more. I think that's true. I think that's true. I, I, I you know, the the interesting thing for me is how many companies I see swinging back instead of doubling down. I guess maybe that maybe not the right way to say it, but but what I what I mean by that is there it's 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 the same mistake that we seem to always repeat um in the digital world as, you know, as these crises unfold, which is the digital because it's not as intimate, because it's not as uh personal as it were, we we default to that only when we have to. 
And so what I see a lot of brands doing, and again, this is anecdotal. I don't have like a research data on this. But from my anecdotal observation, I see a lot of companies that went hard into digital and creating these digital experiences to act as a proxy in many ways for these physical experiences that they were trying to create. And, you know, these B2C companies that they, they, they mention are, are among these. But now that we're coming back to uh, coming back to the, the physical, well, they're not saying let's continue to improve our digital experiences. They're saying, yeah, those were fine while we needed them, but now they're letting them go again, right? They're letting, they're sort of saying, we're going to move all of our resources and efforts back to physical. They're swinging the, the budget and the resources and the strategy pendulum instead of saying, great, now let's re-add and let's figure out what, you know, how do we actually differentiate using both or incorporating both and keeping what we want to keep out of the digital experience. And they're basically figuring out how they can actually reduce all of their digital experiences now so that they can actually make room for these physical experiences because they seem to be competing with one another. And boy, do I think that's a mistake. No, it's interesting. I, that's a great take because you're basically saying, oh, uh, last year, let's put the the digital band aid on, and now they took the the band aid off, and they're just trying to go back. That's to right. Normal. And you're saying, boy, yeah. and if you and, did, we learn nothing. Yeah. I mean, did we learn? Did, nothing, we did. Right? Yes. I mean, we learned nothing. Yeah, we absolutely learned yeah. nothing because. And I don't fault anyone. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. No, no. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, okay, now we're gonna do we're gonna do this virtual while we can. While well, here, we don't know how long it's going to be. But you're right. If the content marketing team got together and said, all right, we don't know how long. We, there's a lot of questions we don't have answered. But what if we focus on this as a long-term experience, digital experience, instead of just whenever it comes back, it comes back? And that's what you're saying, right? That, that would have been a huge opportunity because now you've got multiple platforms instead of just, oh, yeah. I'm done with how the virtual do we- thing. How do we take it to the next level? You know what I mean? In other words, instead of looking at through the, you know, this, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get all sort of esoteric and, you know, Marshall McLuhan-y and all, all that. But, but the, it, how, it, when we look at digital versus physical, instead of saying, ah, digital was, you know, a proxy, right? We, we had to do digital because, you know, it just didn't work. You know, and, and that, by the way, I mean everything from the, uh, you know, pick it up, you know, the direct-to-consumer movement, uh, you know, in terms of retail and how you went to the Best Buy and you sat in the parking lot and you had your text, you know, and all of this. That was all digitally enabled, right? And, you know, and not that Best Buy, I'm not throwing Best Buy under the bus here, but but those kinds of programs are the ones that I'm seeing get killed now and replaced with, hey, the store is open, right? And so let's go back into the store and forget about all of those digital experiences that we created, many of which were really, really great. And again, I'm not mentioning this specific experience because I know something about Best Buy that they're killing that program or whatever, but I mean, in, as a as, as an example of that, I see many companies killing some of these new initiatives that they launched in 2020 to act as a proxy for some sort of physical, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's uh, content marketing, whether it's uh, some sort of customer how-to experience, training, all these things are now sort of the, the, the brands are going, 
yeah, that that was neat while we needed them, but we don't need them anymore. And so let's just, you know, in some cases, let's let them be or let's see how they perform or whatever. But what we're not doing is saying, hey, now that physical's coming back, how do we change this digital experience to take advantage of the physical and make something even better, evolve it into even something better than that? And that's the missing piece that I, I, I see so often, which is we still have this either or. Right, we still have this. It's either got to be uh, physical or offline or online, and it's just not that way anymore. Right? What 2020 taught us was that both things. It's intertwined, inextricably intertwined now. And so, how do we actually take that to the to the next level and learn from what it is we had to do in 2020, and actually do something really interesting? I don't know what world you're living in. That you think that <laughs> right, with the, with exactly. the campaign mentality of both of, of most organizations, yeah. along with the budget buckets, it's very hard yeah. to do what you said. I agree hard. with you. Yeah, it's very hard. I agree with you. But but normally you're going back on a different budget cycle with a different group of people. You're moving some money. Well, around. yeah, it's the short term. It right? right? I mean, we've, yeah. which we just talked about yeah. before. Every, we, we think, oh, yeah. this is, what can what do we need to do this quarter? And a lot of it has to do with the financial incentives. And I mean, this is a whole, it could be a whole nother yeah, podcast. That's right. That's yep. set up, especially in some of these large companies. So I guess that's where I really do believe that smaller operators have a bigger opportunity here because they don't have the budget buckets, it's usually in one bucket, if you will. And they don't necessarily yep. have the short term campaign focus because they don't have to meet shareholder and investor demands. Boy, it's the, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the catch 22. I got to tell you, it's like big companies can afford to have the patience in the long term and don't and short term or, or in smaller organizations, just like you said, they don't have the legacy to unwind, but don't have the patience, yep. right? They don't have, you know, they're, they, they, they can't, they can't afford to have the long term view. It's just this, it's a, it's a fascinating yeah, it's, challenge. It's, so, and, um, it's yeah. so true. I talked to somebody the other day, it's the same old thing that, and they, we're doing yeah. the the content thing. I had a podcast up for six months and very dismayed. And like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, I don't know who told you that six <laughs> months right. was the time when everything was going to work right. out. I said, you know, and then I yeah. tell my story. I mean, hey, you got to go on ramen noodles and bologna for the next three years. If you, you know, cut your expenses down so you can make it so you have time to build the audience, find your tilt, do the work. And it'll happen. Six months. Come on. What are you yeah. kidding yourself? But spaghetti and meat, uh, spaghetti and hot dogs. By the way, not ramen and bologna, because that's just. Well, say we were. Well, it, I'm not. It's not ramen and bologna. It's ramen or bologna. That's. Yeah. And by no, the way, fried spaghetti bologna. and hot dogs. Spaghetti and hot dogs. That's what that was my. I'm go-to sorry. When I was. It, you, <laughs> it, spaghetti and hot dogs have nothing on fried bologna. You take that. You you put the bologna on your. Oh, fry up the you bologna, are so you wrong. No, on, no, no, you are you wrong. Throw on you your, your provolone or whatever on top of that. Let it melt. And, nope. Oh, throw throw that on oh. some. Oh no, I'm and I'm not saying that's not good, but if you haven't had a good spaghetti and hot dogs with, yeah, it's it it can it. Can if work. you're six years old, that sounds great. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what I would eat if I was six. Not that fried bologna is yes, so <laughs> mature. We're back to mature age. Mature food yeah, category of fried age. bologna and ramen noodles, where you get the ramen brick, and then you throw that Fantastic. in the, you know, the, the the two cups of water, a cup of water. Send us your best recipes, folks. Hashtag this That's old market. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our next story here, which comes to us courtesy of a media operator. 
and this one is interesting. Uh, the headline here is diving into BuzzFeed's SPAC plans. Um, and if that headline wasn't confusing enough, let me confuse you even more by reading you the story here. In a major win for CEO Jonah Peretti, BuzzFeed announced last week that 13 and a half years after launching, it would be going public via a SPAC. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. As part of the transaction, the company also said it is acquiring Complex Networks, a digital publisher that specializes in streetwear, music, and pop culture for $300 million in cash and stock from Verizon Communications and Hearst Corporation, which together bought Complex in 2016. BuzzFeed is vying for greater scale to better compete for online ad dollars with tech giants such as Google, Amazon, and Facebook. BuzzFeed said the combined company would be valued at some $1.5 billion, roughly the same level as in 2015 when Comcast uh, invested $200 million in the new media startup. BuzzFeed also said Thursday it is raising $150 million in convertible notes. Boy, there's a lot of moving parts there. Um, but basically, as I understand it, what they're doing is they have formed a new company that is itself a SPAC, um, a special, special what does SPAC stand for again? Company. It's, special, it's where, it's, right. yeah, it's where basically and, an empty company with a lot of money will go out and make a purchase. So this empty company, what I don't even know the name of it, doesn't matter. And then they go yeah. public and then they sort of go, it's sort of a roll up of little companies to make one big company that basically that goes public and they, they share all the costs of going public. And so ultimately you're, it's a weird thing. It's almost like a very obscure ETF where you're ostensibly investing in lots of little Well, not necessarily. It could just be one, it I could know, just be one I know, company. I know. I know it's all it's, all, it's yeah, a sh yeah. it's it, it you're basically sidestepping the the IPO process. That's and, right. That's and exactly you, you get right. Somebody with a big you get some kind of management team with a lot of cash and they go out and they say, OK, we built this shell and the shell is going to be valued at 10 billion dollars because that's how we valued it <laughs> for whatever reason. Right. And then they go yep. off and say, that's the company that we're going to fill. And then you fill in the financials from that company. There you go. Yes, exactly. Right. Nothing shady about that. There at are all. some shady specs uh, going on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, so what do you think about? It? I mean, this we've talked about BuzzFeed for yes. so long in this. So we, uh, in yeah, this show. Yeah. Congratulations, first I mean, of all, to to Joe yeah. Freddy because he's been wanting to do this forever, and finally the right. SPAC That's right. Seems to be the model that, that now he's able to do this. Uh, if you go into the the article from a media operator that you were talking about, Robert, the the <laughs> the numbers. See very unrealistic growth numbers, but you think a little. A little? But yeah, so yeah, and 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 so um, Jacob, who writes this article, says this very well toward the end. The only way to hit these numbers is for BuzzFeed to use this cash to purchase many, many, many brands, so that BuzzFeed becomes this huge holding company. Yeah. Um, exactly. So and so basically that we they're going to have to buy the growth because organically they're never going to get there. But I will just say this. It's eerily similar when I started at at Pent Media in 2000. I I mean the stock price was $32 or something at the time everybody was it was the heyday if you remember the you know 99 2000 everyone was so excited stock market was going crazy and we I sat in a meeting it was the BHAG to 1 billion dollars and we were a 300 million dollar company at the time or something like that how do we get to 1 billion by 
whatever, 2005. And everyone was talking about yep. And that's exactly what BuzzFeed is talking about. They want to get to this 1 billion number as quickly as possible with highly profitable. And I, every time I see this, I get a little bit nervous because oh you're just God. talking about yeah. scale. It's it's how it's what all it's it's what all these big brands fall into. It's like how big can we get? How much can we do? How many social media platforms can we be on? I'm just like, what? yep, what? I lived this. I I it, so my story on the same side was in 1997. I was hired by a little web development firm here in Los Angeles called W3 mm-hmm. Design, which was 45 people. Um, and at the time, one of the larger web development agencies in Los Angeles. By the time I moved, because I was living on the East Coast at the time, by the time I moved back to LA and got there, they had actually been acquired by a little company called US Web, which US Web, for those of you who are old enough to remember, was a roll-up. It was basically the 1999 version of a SPAC. It was basically one company that was entirely made up of little agencies all across as a holding company for all these little tiny agencies all across the world to get scale to call themselves, you know, a billion dollar consulting firm, which then they started to say, okay, we need to expand. So they started to build in other scalability and acquire you know, other parts of other consulting organizations, other technology firms, other software firms. They basically created this monster called March 1st, um, which ultimately became a giant roll-up. That went public, and they took that company public, and of course, never did anything other than operate 2,000 little companies across the you know, and of course, that went about as well as you think it might, um, and it completely imploded, uh, and and it's just not a terribly successful model. It just doesn't work very well, and the reason it doesn't work very well is because all these little things don't work you well You can't together. get the economies of scale that you, you think you, you can. You don't get the economies you of get scale, the, right? You, you get the bean don't. counters to look at it, right? They're like, oh, yeah, we can save money here, 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 but when it comes down to it. It never happens that way. It never really works out very well for these things. And you can see it now happening with the holding companies in the ad agency world, right? All of those companies are operating ostensibly uh, independently with each other and in some ways competing with each other in some cases. But they've all now started to either, you know, uh, uh, become, you know, really the only good performance that any of those companies have is when they actually get some of the economies of scale in what, you know, financial systems, um, you know, big, big deals that they make. Um, but you know, there's a movement away from that right now. And, 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 you know, and brands are recognizing that this, you know, AOR relationship with these big holding companies isn't what it Mm -hmm. used to be. And negotiating those deals is, you know, in, in any event, this, this rarely works out well, but I but I do. Congratulate yeah, I mean, basically, they Peretti yeah, for getting they it now done. have will have once this goes through, they will have the funds to purchase a lot of things. So maybe, yeah, the, oh, maybe, for, for yeah, for all of you publishers out there, for all of you small publishers out there, get ready for a doorbell ring from Jonah Peretti saying, well, "I'd like to buy your little publication." Yeah, if please. you're, if, yeah, if yeah. you're like a ten to twenty million dollar uh, organization and you're you're throwing off about. Thirty percent profit margin, they're going right after you. It's coming your way (laughs) because they need the profit. That's right. If they want to make the twenty five percent 
uh, EBITDA promise that they well have. they don't even need they don't even need they don't even need the profits they just need no, the revenue well, they need the revenue they, to to fool the market that they're actually market cap where they should be the the, mar- the, the problem is is that in the investor presentation that they have they actually talk about i think it's by 2024 or something that they're they're projecting a 25 percent uh profitability (laughs) on that and they're like four percent now so they if they're going to do that they organically have to purchase profitable businesses they can't do it by revenue alone right but they need to per- in order to increase that average they need to be purchasing companies that are averaging you know 60 and 70% Maybe. margin and those companies don't exist and if they do exist they're they, certainly not getting they, bought they exist you know what small I mean? <laughs> really small ones exist so yeah, if they exactly. do that when you have one or two creators you can get you know let's say have you know just digital only businesses low overhead they could buy about yeah. a thousand of those suckers and they'll be just <laughs> To yeah. it, I'd hate to right. integrate exactly. all that, but hey, yeah, whatevs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck with yeah. all Good of luck. that. Is basically the uh, is the message there. In any event, uh, we should probably move on to our rants and rave should. section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we're living in Vancouver or living in the subtropic somewhere where it's nice and cool. Uh, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? Uh, I got a rant and you a little go bit first of a rave. And I'll, I'll, I'll okay. end with my rave. How about that? Fantastic! Okay. Fantastic. So I have a uh, I have a rant. Um, I don't know if it's a rant. More than just commentary, I guess. Um, something that's not getting a lot of, I guess, media attention. Um, certainly outside the outside baseball of our industry, is that uh, did you know? So we've talked a lot about how Google has uh, talked about the the end of the third-party cookie, right? Yep. You know, you've heard yes. me rant on it before, right? You know, the whole idea, surveillance-based marketing and all that kind of stuff. Well, they announced uh, just, uh, it looks like about a week ago or so, that they're going to delay that uh, idea. They're going to delay blocking third-party cookies, the end of third-party cookies, until the end of 2023. And the general uh, tenor, the general sort of, uh, what you're seeing out there on social media, much I'm sure to Google's uh, joyous PR firm, is a big sigh of relief that says, oh, goodness gracious, we're not going to be ending the third-party cookies anytime soon, and that's wonderful. Um, certainly, it's wonderful for those advertising companies that are using third-party cookies to to do things that are um, not as perhaps, you know, <laughs> as ethical as we would like. Um the reason for this, and the, the uh, article we'll link to, which I think is a really good uh, overview of this, comes from The Verge, um, because it's one of those things where, why did they delay it, right? It's not because of what they said, which is, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're concerned about the market and we're concerned about, you know, people's ability to, to adapt and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's all Google PR nonsense. The reason is because, of course, Google's between in this very, very difficult situation right now, uh, admittedly in a very difficult situation where, as one, they're dealing with antitrust issues, which basically says, you know, they control so much of the advertising market that anything they do that makes it look like, including killing third-party cookies, which would make their walled garden sort of the only place where you can go to do retargeted advertising, is looks like a monopolistic move. But on the second 
on the flip side of that coin, anything they do that doesn't look like they're protecting privacy, as Apple sort of takes the lead there, looks like they're you know acting in very monopolistic ways as well and very unethical ways. And of course, that's a tough place for them to be. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you try and invent a technology that says, hey, we're killing third-party cookies because we're so concerned about privacy, but we also have this cool new technology, and they call it Flock. Um, flock? Which, uh, Feder- flock. Flock. Okay. F-L-O-C. Okay. Flock, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, get ready good, with the puns, good, yeah. right? Good, we're good all, call on that We're one. all flocked. Yeah. Federated learning of cohorts <laughs> is the, uh, <laughs> is the acronym there. It gets there. better. Yeah, it's, 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 re- <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, basically, they came out with Flock earlier this year and said, this is going to be the replacement for all of this. And uh, basically, it landed with a thud. Um, you know, Apple, Firefox, all of the browser makers went, mm, no, that's not going to work for us. All the privacy advocates went, mm, no, that's not going to work for us. And so Flock was flocked from the almost the very beginning. Um, and so... I think, and it would seem that I have some company here, that basically they don't, Google doesn't have an answer for this right now. They just don't have an answer. And so instead of sort of committing to this and basically trying to figure out something else, they've said, yeah, we need more time. They're basically playing rope-a-dope um, you know, as they, as they sort of back into the ring corner and say, we got to figure this out because we don't have a, we, there's not a good answer for this right now. And I think a lot of this is going to take place in the courts where Google is now faced in Europe with an antitrust uh, idea. And so for all of you who sort of see the messages out there that say, ah, it's a sigh of relief. We have time now. My strong encouragement is to pretend that it's not get ahead of this while you can and start figuring out your first party data strategy uh, and figure out how you're going to deal with this because it's only going to get more complex and harder from here out. So use this delay, not as a, you know, but use it as a pressure to say, ah, okay, we need to figure this out. That's, that's my commentary or or rant on that. Um, My little quick rave is basically from marketing. Have you seen the the Budweiser July Fourth? I have 4th not seen ad? it, but I will. So I will watch it's, it after right, as soon as the so, show's done. It's it's really fun. It's just fun. We you know in a time that we could really use just some fun, and, and so you're familiar with Bill Pullman's presidential yes. speech in Independence Day, right? The How movie, which of course is so famous. He basically recreates that, but does it with the we're now coming out of lockdown idea oh nice it's just it's just great it's just it's just great it's just great nostalgia it's great fan service it's just it's just wonderful and and kudos to budweiser for for doing it it's just it's wonderful so we'll link to it in the show notes of course so you can go watch it but uh yeah that's my that's my small very, very rave. Nice. it's just it's just wonderful and wonderful very nice so my uh my rave is um, I, I, you might have heard. Maybe you were already listening to Smartless. Have you listened to the Smartless podcast before? Okay, I have not. So, no, I, I heard about yeah. it from you, but I have not. So I have the backstory is, that. my friends Becky and Mark turned me on to the Smartless podcast. It stars Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. So very, very popular in their own right. But they're all really close friends, which I didn't know. And you'll, you'll understand that when you start listening to it. And I've listened to about five or so podcasts. And so the premise is each week. Either Jason, Sean, or Will bring on a surprise guest that the other two don't know about. It's like, oh, today's guest is Oprah. And then they're like, oh, Oprah. 
what? And they all they all ask Oprah questions or whatever. Works pretty pretty well. And the just a side note, Robert, they read advertising and sponsorship better than anyone I've ever listened to. It's actually the the only time I will listen to the sponsorships because they're so interesting. What they do with them. So if you get a chance, you can oh, just listen yeah, to them for that. that. Oh, I'm definitely so, that. Yeah. So the the long story short is, I was was running and I was listening to the episode with Adam Sandler. And the four were talking about auditioning for acting roles. It's funny how you brought up casting director before, but they they were talking about how their career decisions have mostly been made for them because they're uh, under um, because the casting directors have all this power. And they were talking about different casting directors in Hollywood and how you know you didn't get chosen for this one or you got chosen for this one. So Jason Bateman starts talking and they're lamenting. I mean, these are four of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And Jason Bateman really gets into a little pity party and says, none of this, meaning acting, is up to us. So basically was saying, we don't have any control over our careers. And all their success in acting has only happened because of some casting director that chose them. Right. And I had to stop. I actually stopped running, and I wrote a little notation because I had to make this note about this, none of this is up to us. Is very successful, one of the more successful actors out there, Jason Bateman, saying this. So what's funny is the three of these gentlemen created the Smartless Podcast, 50-plus episodes, very, very popular, a lot of revenue generating from it earlier this week. What happens? This little podcast started by these three actors sold exclusive rights, podcast rights, to Smartless uh of Smartless to Amazon Music and Wondery for between sixty and eighty million dollars. So, good on yeah. them. That's my rate. Yes, of course, great. So on them. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's just so funny because it happened li- literally about you know a day after I listened to them lamenting about the fact that they have no control, and then they went out and and created this. And this is the thing, you know, we see these celebrity deals and we see these you know the Joe Rogan type deals. But what's amazing is is that the individual content entrepreneur can do this right now, and it's happening right now, and we're just not hearing about it. And that's what I love about, you know, the little industry that we're in, that that yeah. you have the options of financial stability and independence that we've just never had before. It's a it's a, it's a great it's 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 a great case study and a great template for us to look at, you know, and. Th- the funny thing is, of course, it's the, the, the irony of what you heard them talk about, which is as actors, they have no control over their success because it's all based on a popularity contest and casting directors who put them into things. Um, and that's true, but I would argue for a while until you reach a certain level where you start dictating, right? Where you, and, and they're all at that, that sort of, character level sure. you know where it is they all still audition they all still you know go out for things and they're at that level you know when you're at the tom cruise level it's a whole different he's calling ball, yeah right? he's calling you know, well even jason you know, bateman was saying that he doesn't feel that way anymore now that he's doing more directing so he's right, making a right. lot of these choices himself so he's turned the tables on that but he basically said right. for 20 30 years of his career you know, they're doing he's doing, you know, six auditions a week and he's trying to get a gig. And after he was talking about the failure of Teen Wolf 2, he just couldn't make a comeback. Right. He nobody wanted right. him. 
So it was interesting. And the key there is it, it's a, it goes back to a, it's a it's a wonderful lesson that I actually learned from my friend Mike Weiss, who was in the entertainment business for a long time. And, and just one of the things he told me was in the early days, he said, whenever you can, he called it, he said, use your juice. He said, whatever juice you've got, use it. He said, because that's the key. And, and what he meant by that was whatever juice you end up building up, right, whatever little brand you get, whatever platform you have, whatever company you're working for, whatever friends you know, whatever networking you have, that's your juice. And you have to use it. And so that's a great example of where Jason Bateman and those three guys are using their juice. They're using, you know, they, they didn't buy the podcast because the content those people, you know, and they and they didn't get the multiple based on. I'm sure they didn't get the multiple based on uh, solely the audience, and and they 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 in many ways they got the multiple that they got because it's Jason Bateman and Will Arnett, right? I mean, that's 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 part of it. They use their juice in order to to bump that up. It's the same thing with you know when George Clooney goes off and and makes Casamigos tequila. Casamigos tequila is not great let's just be quite frank it, it's not great tequila but because it came from george clooney and he built that narrative around it about how it got created and he built it for his friends and it was all this wonderful thing and it's homegrown and it's got that celebrity aura around it using his juice that's why it sells for hundreds of millions of dollars as a brand so use your juice that's a it's a it's a great lesson whatever it takes right <laughs> Whatever, Whatever it takes. It takes. Don't feel bad yeah. about leveraging connections or small right. opportunities that you feel that you shouldn't because you want to do it on your own or whatever. You do you, everything, anything, and yep. everything. That's you, you exactly. Use. So there you go. There you have it. All right. What do you got? Uh, anything? Anything oh, this we, week? It's a long we weekend. Got the long the weekend. Of July. We actually, it's it's we're having some fun because uh, last year, we, every year for the Fourth of July, we go out to Blossom Music Center. Uh, in, it's in south of Cleveland, and we listen to the orchestra, and they play fireworks, and it's a big deal. We've been doing this for many, nice. many years. That we always take about 16, 17 people out there with us, and we weren't able to go last year. So, of course, this year we're able to go. We sit on the grass. We all, you know, we have little picnics together, and then it gets dark. The orchestra comes out, and the Cleveland orchestra is fantastic. And then we, you know, they play the William Tell Overture and all sorts of other things. So it's 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 great. So I'm looking forward to that this this weekend. How about you? Nice, sir? very nice. We are headed to the beach to do the there same. You go. Uh, we have yeah, we have a little place up in Montecito, which is just near Santa Barbara. For those of you who don't know California, um, and we'll be up there for the long weekend, sort of enjoying uh, the beach, enjoying some time away from the screen, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Perfect. Well, enjoy. You deserve it now that you had that traumatic birthday week. <laughs> yeah, thank you <laughs> yes <laughs> all right yes off of my traumatic birthday week that is it folks we're signing off and if you want to get all the goodness by the way and there is a ton of goodness now we're getting to a, a level of goodness that is unprecedented uh in this podcast show notes or if you want to just dive into any of the other 277 episodes it's july people i mean it's amazing it's july 2021 we're 277 episodes into this thing head on over to our website won't you this old marketing dot site we got all kinds of wonderful stuff there uh and of course we want to thank the good folks at radix for powering our this old marketing dot site that's this old marketing dot site and if you want your own dot site domain get over there and 
to Radix and get yourself a .site domain. Uh, and until we meet again, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.